This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Carolyn. Hi. Hi. So good to have you. Thank you. I'm excited and nervous. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so, but why don't you just like start from the beginning, go, go back to kind of where alcohol was first in your life and how it all started for you. Sure. Um, I think that's the part that makes me nervous. I've just not really shared this story with anybody before. Um, I think when I first reached out, I was like, I'm kind of a closet (laughs) non-drinker. Um, but so like even growing up, alcohol was not a huge part of like my family life. My mom didn't drink for as long back as I can remember. I know my dad did, but I don't have like a lot of memories. I think maybe one or one or two where I was like, Ooh, something's different about him. That's a little silly. Like I think maybe he's drunk, but for the most part, it just wasn't present. And so I, you know, I didn't really get into it in high school. My very first experience drinking was on a trip to the place where I was going to go to college. Uh, and it was like, and I think that looking back at it, cause obviously I've done a lot of reflecting on it since, uh, so much of my story and my relationship with alcohol just has revolved around like wanting to fit in and feeling like I just didn't want to stand out as different, which I think is why now I'm such a closet non-drinker because I'm like, oh, then I won't fit in and <laughs> people won't right. realize. Um, but so I like, I have a lot of memories of that night at, um, at the school and, you know, it was fun and just kind of not really getting it like, okay, I mean, that was a thing, but I don't really get what it's about this idea of, you know, binge drinking, I guess. And then I just kind of went back home. I was still in high school and then didn't drink again until spring break of that year. And like did a trip with friends who were just so much cooler than I was. And, you know, there was the parent there who was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to have booze because the parents at the house and, you know, and I drank some that weekend and I still kind of was like, okay, that was fine. Like that was all right. I don't really get it, but I guess this is what we do. And just thinking like this, I don't know, maybe this is a grown-up thing. And then it sort of evolved into when I got to college, it was almost this like competitive, like I'm going to be a badass. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, um, and just found myself really like wanting to be able to to like hold it, to hold my liquor, you know, like not be wasted and not get drunk. Um, and then like the year I was 20, I was so paranoid about, like, I'm such a rule follower. And so I was so paranoid about getting caught as like right before I turned 21 and oh God, how terrible would that be? Like, you're so close. So I, even that year it was kind of like, I would drink, you know, at like parties or at the house where I was living and stuff like that. But you know, for the most part, I wasn't like out in all of the bars. I would go, but I just was like, no, you know, like, I'm, no thanks. Like maybe go in the bathroom and have a drink or something. But I was like, I just remember people feeling so confident, like they're just going to hang out and like underage and order this drink. And I was like, oh my God, the cops are going to bust in at any minute and we're going to be so in trouble. Um, and then, so that's, it was always kind of this like fear thing for me. And then when I turned 21, it was like, oh, okay, now there's nothing to be scared of. Like the wheels have now come off. It's fine. I can do it. I'm so grown up. Um, I made the mistake of staying in my college house the year after I graduated and I had a job and I was going to work and then trying to like 
live this double life of being there because none of my roommates had graduated. They were all still in college. So I was like trying to adult by day and like college student by night. And it was just a really rough time. And I did realize like, that's not going to work for me. So I moved and then just sort of ended up in a really unhealthy relationship. And that was the first time that anyone pointed out to me, like, maybe the way, like, maybe the way you're using alcohol is just not super healthy, except they didn't say it in that really loving, kind way. Um, They said it in a really nasty, abusive, ultimatum-y kind of way. And, you know. Stop drinking or else or... Um, not, no, not even like that. It was just like, you're such a shit person, Mm. you know, like just like a lot of insults, like look at how much you suck, that type of thing. And so I thought, okay, well, if I need to show this person that I don't suck, then I just am going to not drink anymore. So I just stopped and it was like, okay, well then we're not doing that anymore. And, um, then throughout the course of that, so it was about a year that I stayed in that relationship and, and wasn't drinking at all. Um, you know, I just kind of starting, I guess then I was able to see like, oh, this is not a good relationship. <laughs> and, you know, here I am, you know, well over a decade and a half down the road, I can look back and be like, and then I realized it was unhealthy, but it was such a long, scary, really traumatic process, kind of Mm -hmm. recognizing it and then doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then I just moved again because it was like, okay, well, this is, I can't be here. Like I can't, I'm not going to be able to change my life if I stay here. So then I moved again. And then I just was kind of single for a long, long time um, in and out of various relationships. None of, I mean, they were, there were good ones, there were bad ones, but nothing that was like kind of at that level and just kind of feeling like alcohol was how you connected as a single person in the city. Like, this is just what we do and always wanting to fit in and also still wanting to be like that badass who could really hang with everybody. Um, you know, I don't know. Like it's, I feel weird telling the story just cause I've never said it. Like I'm still, I'm talking about it. I'm like, but is that like, is that what it was? Like, <laughs> I don't really know. But, uh, you know, I had friends that would do like the, well, and then when I got married, we had that year where like everybody gets married in the same year, which was weird because I didn't get married until in my mid thirties. And I thought I was for sure the last one, but it turned out a lot of my friends were younger than I was. And so we were all like getting married at the same time. And that was like party after party after, you know, wine tasting after bachelorette do and all of that. And, uh, you know, and we had provided the alcohol for our own wedding. So everything that was left over just came to our house. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and that's when, <laughs> looking back, that's when, like, I had alcohol in my house before, but it was mostly I was just, like, going out because I lived by myself for so many years, you know, before it was, like, going out and seeking connection. Now, all of a sudden, it was in my house, and my husband and I could just, you know, get in the hot tub and have a drink together and hang out and, like, if I had to pinpoint when it really just became like just a part of daily life, I would say that was it. Like it was just this like nonchalant, so grown up, like I'm married now, you know, look how adult I've switched to wine because that's so much more classy, you know, just a lot of misunderstandings about it, I guess. And then he would travel. And then it was like, when he was gone, I would be really feeling alone. But that idea of, well, I'm just going to go call my friends and hang out at a bar. It was like, well, I'm married now. So that's not really what you do. And that's when I started just really like, okay, well, 
no one's around, like I might as well just drink some here. And then it was like friends would do the dry January or whatever. And I would be like, yeah, like I'm on board, but it never worked. <laughs> like I was forever just failing at it. And uh, so then in 2000, I guess 19 last year, I kind of started the year with my first like, okay, I'm paying for something. Because when, it, when I would try the 30-day things, that, that's when it started clicking like, oh, this isn't working. And maybe that's not a good thing that this is so hard for me. Like, right. you know, like in looking back, I can think of, so that one unhealthy relationship was the first time that someone had been like, that you suck for drinking that way. But then there were like a couple other times that different people I was in relationships with would be like, oh, like, I'm not sure that how you're approaching that is that like, yeah, I live in Texas and rodeo is a big thing. And I remember one guy I was dating, it was like, we were going down to rodeo. He lived out of state, it was a long distance relationship. And I was telling him, well, the taxi's going to pick me up and I'm going to go meet my friend and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, but like, does it concern you at all that you're already planning on getting wasted? Like, does that feel okay to you? And I was like, well, I mean, like if I thought I was going to go, like, it feels like I'm being super adult about it. Cause I've already decided to take a taxi. Like I'm obviously prepared and planning ahead, like see how smart and healthy I am. Right. Um, and then another, another relationship had said something similar, another long distance one, which I think is curious. It was never the people who are like seeing me daily, but the people who I would be talking to long distance were like, um, like, are you loving how that's working for you? And I was like, I am. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Like stop. Well, and I think I had this, like, stop trying to control me because I'd had the one relationship. So I was really like, don't, you're not the boss of me. Like I've been down that road. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I wonder if, you know, when you're with somebody every day, mm-hmm. you're probably doing, and, and maybe I, I'm totally wrong, but you're like, I know my husband and I, like, we were just having to keep up with each other because we're yeah. together every day. So you couldn't really see, but, but at a distance, you kind of are like, huh, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Cause even thinking about my husband and I, yeah, like that was, like I said, that's how we'd spend our evenings. Like, let's just pour a drink and hang out at the house together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so then I kind of started thinking like, well, why is it so hard for me to get through one of these 30 day challenges? Like I'm not letting, and then, you know, obviously I, you know, I became a therapist. So then I was a lot more self-reflective and it was like, okay, the more I learn about this, the more like red flaggy I feel, but still not quite convinced that there was anything like off the rails about it. Like it was just, I felt really comfortable with the idea of, I don't love my relationship with alcohol as opposed to like, this is super detrimental or like rock bottom. Like none of that was ever true for me. It was just like, yeah, like this is maybe not the best thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So then at the start of the year, I just did my first like paid for challenge and it was a 90 day one and I made it 60 days. And this is so funny. (laughs) And then it was rodeo season and I had made it the 60 days, which is all I had said to my husband. I was like, I'm going to do 60 days, knowing full well that I'd paid for 90, but I just couldn't, like, I was so afraid to say I was going to do the 90 because it was like, I just didn't believe that I could make the 90 and I'm like, not cool with failure. Uh, Yeah. You know, so I was like, I don't want to put that out in the world and then not do it. And I kind of already don't think I'm gonna. And so I drank again. Uh, and it was rodeo season. That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, what? Like, I'm starting to hear how rodeo season really plays a role in this. We just uh, went to the rodeo with my my family, and it was, I guess I've been a few times since I stopped drinking, but I, it was 
just the whole stock show. And then we went to the rodeo and the whole thing. And I was like, this is super boozy. Yeah. I mean, you can say that about most things, but it was definitely like, we went back to see, you know, people had their livestock in the back and, and you could see, and everybody's like kind of camped out there, especially people who are like, you know, selling or trading or showing. Yeah. And um, they're just like camped out. Like, I mean, people are passed out. People are yep. camped out with their keg. People are yes. like, crazy. Well, in here, I don't know if y'all have this, but we have like the trail rides where everyone from all the surrounding areas like gets in their Conestoga wagon with their horses and they're like 8,000 cases of beer and there's like kids on and like we'd all go line up like I like growing up in elementary school like being in my little you know cowgirl outfit and like standing at the school fence waving at all the cowboys as they go by and they're all you know boozing it up (laughs) like what is that why do we like here kids come watch these drunk cowboys but, um, Interesting. so yeah, so, uh, it was rodeo season and I had finished my 60 days and we had family in town and I was like, this is fine. Like, I feel good about it. Like I was really proud of myself. I was feeling like super pleased that I had made it the 60 days, just really, you know, kind of that pink cloud thing. And I drank and I think I probably had like just a few I don't know, like maybe one night and then it was just completely over the top. You know, I just was throwing up and it was like, oh God, I felt so awful. And I think I honestly thought, well, it's because I haven't had any in a while. Like I'll get back in the swing of things. <laughs> like, like, what is that about? Oh, oh, poor me. But uh, so then that kind of like I did that and then sort of dealt with like, okay, that was too much. Where's my line now? You know, like I'm going to moderate. And then, um, gosh, I don't even know how long went by until I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah, it was great when I wasn't, when I wasn't drinking, I would prefer not to, but there were times where I'd like, okay, then I'm going to do a day one. And then it would be like a couple days and then something would come up. And I started realizing like vacations and holidays were my biggest kind of problem. Like I could just be cruising and I wouldn't, you know, even with alcohol in the house, it was like, I don't really want it. It's fine. I'm just not drinking right now. You know, I got more used to having the conversation when people would ask, but like something that counted as an occasion, like I I was where I knew that if it was like a a bad day, it was fine. Like I don't need, I don't need booze for this bad day, but I needed to celebrate it. I felt like, like it was part of grown up celebrating. Um, So then I ended up just finally doing another paid for challenge. And, um, that one was a hundred days and I got to probably like maybe 35 days or so. And then I had a month where every weekend, whether it was work or personal, I was out of town and it was that vacation mindset again. And it was like, I'd go the first two days of the trip and then be like, okay, well, I'm just going to have a glass of wine. Like you're in a hotel. Like I don't, how do you not drink in a hotel? Ooh, on that note, we actually had a, like a, something happened at our house and we lived in a hotel for about six weeks at one point while it was being repaired. And that was just like a total train wreck. Like I was that person, like drunk old lady wandering the hotel with my booze. You know? <laughs> but, um, so I, so I paid for this hundred day challenge and, you know, then had that month and I thought, okay, well, I just, it was just this like, well, I'm going to forget it. The month is going to be the month and we're not going to do yeah. anything. But then again, it was like, okay, well now I'm ready to pick this back up. And I kept not being able to pick it back up. Like, and that's when I discovered this naked mind because everyone in this other challenge was like, oh, this book is the book, you know, try it, blah, blah, blah. 
And so then I read the book, did the, the alcohol experiment and just kind of haven't looked back since. Like it was kind of, so it was a very up and down as it is for most people, but, um, you know, yeah, like the, the, the information in the book made it, especially being a therapist and someone who like with brain spotting, it is such like a brain body based and being really into that idea of like our body is trying to create homeostasis. It's working to heal itself. We just have to give it that space. Um, so the book really spoke to me in that, like, I was like, Oh, this I can get behind. I think everything I'd been signing up for and reading prior to that was like, no, you just take care of yourself better. And then you just, learn better and then you do better. And it was like, no, but I already know these things. <laughs> like, right. That knowledge is not enough. I needed that. Like the science behind it was like, oh shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This all makes sense. <laughs> so so yeah, interesting story. So I have so many, I have so many kind of follow-up points. And then I really, I'm really super curious. I know that, um, you know, you being a therapist and in, in brain spotting and stuff, I, I want to dig into that because before you reached out, I hadn't actually heard of it. And I've done some research on it since and it's just fascinating so i'm super excited yeah. for our listeners to hear all about that uh but before we get into that there's a few things that just you know popped into my mind as you were talking first of all about the hotels it's so funny because literally i would like it was a routine to check into a hotel check the mini bar see you know, was there enough red wine? Was I going to have to drink white or was I going to like, you know, cause I knew I needed at least like four little bottles of red. And if there wasn't, then I was going to have to drink the white. Yeah. Maybe I'd have to drink some beer. What, like, just kind of like my inventory, like what, uh-huh. what's here? Like, what are we working with? How, yeah. How often is it going to be replenished? What, what's happening? And it's so interesting because then I stopped drinking and I actually, um, very like I traveled for a while still with my international job. So I was still traveling for a while, but the mini bar just fell off my radar completely. Like it just like fell off my radar. It was so weird. Um, unless maybe I was trying to go for gummy bears or something. And then I remember <laughs> stopping traveling for a while and I had this weird moment where somebody asked me a question and I think it was, might've been a podcast or something. Oh no, it was at our, our live event. Uh, the first time we ever did a live event in the Snake of Mine Live in Denver. Uh-huh. And somebody was like, they wrote in before the event and they said, are you guys going to like clean the mini bars out? Like just to not tempt us or whatever. And of course the method is so about like using your brain to get past a place where you're never tempted. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment of like, they still have mini bars. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've seen one. (laughs) Because I I thought I was like, maybe they like just, I, I literally just had not, consciously thought of a mini bar in so many years that I, I thought that maybe they just had taken them out of hotel. Like I, it was so weird for me. And I was like, yeah, wow, that's, that's really freedom. Like, that's awesome. Like that's such a good place to be. It's like when you see the no smoking in the lavatory sign on an airplane, you're like, why do they even put that anymore? Do people try? Right. Like, was that a thing? Like, yeah. People, like we're smoking cigarettes on airplanes. That's so fascinating. Ugh, yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So that would be awful. I think for me, it was not, it was, I was never a mini bar person because I'm way too cheap for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was on an expense account. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, for me, it was, well, is there a bar so I can go and be around people? Even if I was sitting by myself, just having that like, mm-hmm. that like din of conversation felt comforting to me. Mm-hmm. And like, but what am I going to do? Just go sit 
So right. I had to have a drink, like, otherwise I'm being a weirdo sitting just to be around people. Like it was almost like the booze, the wine made it like, Oh, see, but this is like what classy people do. Like they just go and they sit and have a drink. Whereas I didn't even necessarily, I mean, I'm, I'm sure on a certain level, I cared about having the drink and the, right. like the result of it, but it was more like, this is my only way to go be by the people and right. get that connection need met, which is, you know, sad. Like I feel sad for myself, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I totally relate that. I mean, I still do the same thing in coffee shops sometimes and you just yeah. have to get like some people around and, and whatnot, but it, it is interesting. I, um, we, I have a friend, it's her birthday, her 24th birthday. And, um, you know, she's young and I'm like, I want to take her out. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, and then somebody told me about something called D bar in downtown Denver. It's like dessert bar. So oh like, yeah. We have chocolate bars I'm here. going to go do that. That sounds yeah. great. So anyway, but it's just such a funny thing because it is, you know, we do, we do need alternatives. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm going to try D bar. I'll be in Denver in July for a brain spotting. Their international conferences in Denver oh, cool. this year. So I'll have to try D bar. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You should, I'm excited about it. It's, I, I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, but you said too, that you're such a closet non-drinker. And I just wanted you to kind of expand on that and what that looks like for you, because I think that's such a hard thing for people to be like, how can I, how can I be a non-drinker and not be so worried about it or not get hassled about it or, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, so I remember the very first night that we went out, my husband and I, after I had kind of told him, like, I'm not going to, I don't think I'd said I was going to do 60 days at this point for that first paid for challenge. Like it was just like, I'd said, I'm not going to, well, I probably had. And so then we were on the way and it was our friend group does like, they love birthday parties, like any age, every year, all the birthdays, like the months where there's lots of birthdays were just constantly at birthday parties. And so we were on our way to one of these birthday parties and I just started crying. <laughs> and I, this is one thing that I remember from kind of that first challenge is that idea of seeing like, like the women who their epidural hasn't worked and they're like, I feel everything. Like that was how I felt. Like I didn't have that wine and it was like, oh my God, I can feel everything. And it's awful. <laughs> and so just this wave of anxiety came over me and I started crying and he was like, what's going on over there? And I was like, nothing, don't talk to me, you know? And so finally I just kind of mustered up my courage because I've even been really quiet with him about most of this, which uh, we can get into that too. Like, but I said, I'm nervous about not having anything to drink at this birthday party. And I'm like really scared about, you know, what that's going to look like. And he was kind of like, well, if you want to go, we go. And I was like, yeah, I hear you and how simple that sounds to you. But like, this is freaking me out. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, what about it is freaking you out? And I said, well, what if they don't like me if I'm not the person that they met? Because most of these are the like the friends he had before we met. So like, they've never known me not to be like a huge wine drinker. And I was like, well, what if they don't like me? And he was like, you know, Carolyn, people love you. You're fine. You know, you're, you're loving you're the nice person, nicest person I know. Like he was just very complimentary. And then it just hit. And I was like, what if I don't like them? Mm. And that one was a really hard one. Like what if now we've got this close connected group and it turns out I don't like this and I don't want to be part of this anymore. Like how do I even undo this life? You know, like these are not people that I don't want to be 
don't want in my life, but what if it turns out I don't like them? Right. Um, so, I mean, so we went and even then, like, I was very like, okay, I'm ordering like my Topo Chico, sh- nobody look. And we, and part of this is that we also have dealt with pretty much since the first year we were married, we've been dealing with infertility and not able to get pregnant and have kids and all of those things. So for me, a huge part of it is that, you know, being a woman, the second you don't drink, people start asking, oh, are you pregnant? And that for me was just really painful because the answer was always no. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, well, are you doing another treatment? Is that why you're not drinking? And it was like, no. And just the assumptions they made were such a, such a trigger for so much grief in my life that it was like, I just didn't want people to notice because I didn't want to have the conversation like, nope, still not pregnant. Now, not only do I not have my booze to, you know, numb that sadness, now it's being brought up. (laughs) Like, like I just wanted to hide in the corner, Um, which is curious because I was using it to be around people, but didn't want the people to be around me. (laughs) That is really interesting. Yeah. So, um, and even now, you know, people will say like, so are you like done forever? And I just kind of do the whole, you know, like if I want one, I'll have one. I just don't want one right now. You know, I've kind of defaulted to the whole, the morning I wake up and regret not drinking, then maybe I'll have a drink. Like, you know, <laughs> I love that one. I haven't heard yeah. that before. Yeah. I, it's not mine. I heard it from someone else, but, um, I just like, I still kind of haven't come out with, like, even with my husband, he'll be like, well, do you want to get a glass of wine? I'm like, no, not tonight. You know? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, so th- I don't know what that is. Like, I think part of it is that there's that fear of judgment and like the shame that comes with people thinking, oh, you must have had a problem or it must be a problem for you. And the truth is, yeah, it totally is a problem for me, but it's none of your business. Right. <laughs> you know, so just kind of feeling like part of that for me, I think was working on feeling okay that they're going to think something. And that is, I like, I just, I'm battling too many things right now to even deal with that. Like, yeah. it's fine. They're going to think what they think. You know, I've had to do a lot of learning to feel what I'm feeling and like the comfort with discomfort. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. I don't really have any words of wisdom other than like, you don't have to tell anybody. <laughs> it's your, right. it's no, your business. Right. Um, I think for some people that's a tricky one because they need the support, right? But like, I just kind of got in a bunch of the Facebook groups. I'm a total lurker. I don't think I've ever posted or commented in a single one. Like, just kind of am a lurker and like get my support that way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it's so true because I remember um, getting a text from a girl who used to work for me. And uh, she's like, I heard you stop drinking. The text literally said, I heard you stop drinking. I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what you must have gone through. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, well, there's a lot behind that. <laughs> I don't even, wow. I was like, oh, well, it was nothing really. Just made the decision. <laughs> like I, it was, but it was so almost, wow, that, and she was just trying to be super compassionate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but it was, I know that's a really sweet thing to send. (laughs) Right. Like in her mind, it was like, you would not do that and cause yourself that much, almost grief, tragedy, Mm -hmm. whatever, if it hadn't been very serious kind of consequences, like something major must've happened. And it was, it was a just very bizarre moment for me, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, but I like, I like that. I like the idea of just, you know, you don't have to tell and, and you don't have to be you know, I, I, my husband, you know, he hasn't had a drink in a really long time, years now, but 
he's always like, I'm never going to be like the person putting my flag in the ground and being like, I'm not a drinker. Yeah. And he's like, that's just never going to be who I am. I'm never going to be that person. Like to like be on a soapbox about this. And I was like, that yeah. is totally fine. I do enough of that for both of us. <laughs> I think if someone asks me about it, I'll get on a soapbox, but I'm not going to seek an audience for it. We were out for another birthday party. Cause it's what we do. Um, and I ordered, you know, a club soda with lime or whatever. And someone said, are you not drinking tonight? And my husband goes, she hasn't had a drink in like six months. And I thought, well, that's not quite true, but thank you for that. <laughs> but it was just kind of funny. Like I was like, it felt like patting myself on the back. Like, good job. You see these people multiple times a week and right. you have completely kept it off of their radar that you're not, that you've been not drinking for so long. And it's kind of cool that way too, in a way, because then when it is like a significant amount of time and they're like, whoa, wait, we had all these great experiences that totally reframes it for them too, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, because they weren't in this hyper, like, what's it going to be like? How's she going to be? What's she going to say? They just like, oh, wow, nothing changed. That's yeah. cool. You know, that's well, and it's funny. There's other people in this group who don't drink like one or two of them, but that didn't even make it okay for me. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm one of these people now. Like, it was like, don't tell anybody, you know? Well, I won't tell you how many downloads this podcast gets. Yeah, don't, don't worry. And if anyone I know is listening, don't tell me that you heard it. No, <laughs> no, that's fine. I will totally let people hear it. I just this is, but you know what I think it is? It's part of, for me, the not telling people is because the whole reason I was drinking, not the whole reason, but one of the primary reasons was because I wanted to be with the people and fit in with the people. Mm-hmm. And just the amount of work that I've had to do on myself since realizing that is kind of this idea of, well, how do I get used to it being okay that I'm not one of the people? Like that there, there are things that are different about me, you know, and that is another one that's really strongly linked to the infertility because there's that like, I'm not in the mom club, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of you know, obviously all of my friends are like, we don't have any friends that are coming to mind right now that don't have kids. Like a lot of our friends have grandkids at this point and just kind of like, I already didn't fit into that club. Like now I'm just completely like in a sense, ostracizing myself even further by not drinking. Um, And those are other, like I've had those tearful conversations with my husband. Like, I just feel like I don't fit in. And then here I go, and make it even worse for myself by not drinking, <laughs> you know, which like, obviously it's better for me, but it feels like I'm making my circumstance worse. Like I'm choosing to ostracize myself somehow, but yeah. they're not doing it and it's fine. They are welcoming me with open arms and not even realizing I'm not drinking, but it's that mindset of, oh shit, this is another way that's going to make me just not fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. definitely. Just the internal sort of dialogue, which is, which is really interesting. I, when I think about stuff like that, I like to think about, um, like, is it really that powerful, you know? And, and I know that we can, we can hold it up. Is that powerful? We can believe like, yeah, it is. It's the social connector. It's this or that. But then I have to look back through like, you know, imagine that we were like a group of people back in, you know, I don't know, any probably point in history before now, alcohol would have been hard to make expensive, mm-hmm. not readily available, very special occasions. It would not, and, and we were still super connected. We probably yeah. still were having- Probably more connected. Yeah, probably more connected. And, and so it's like, 
well, it's, it's actually not really that powerful. And I think in a way, maybe you're almost trying to prove it to yourself by not coming out, right? Because it's like this, like you're showing that like, look, everything's the same. And then when they know, like they'll have this history of knowing that, yeah, everything is the same. It's really kind of cool. I'm so, like, I've got this weird curiosity about my next birthday and like how many bottles of wine people are going to bring me. Cause it will have been quite some time. <laughs> You're like, huh, this is going to be interesting. Like it's almost an experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, what you do for work and brain spotting because, you know, I, I, like I said, I hadn't heard about it before and yeah. um, I think it's just such a helpful and useful tool that I'd love to dig into a little bit. Yeah, well, feel free to rein me in when I go completely like low grade obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kind of fine tuning how to explain it to the masses. And um, well, just a little backstory on why I chose to go down this route and get this certification anyways. It's just, uh, I was, I had started my private practice and was, so I work with um, people pleasing perfectionists with anxiety. Um, panic attack and super anxious people are my favorites. Uh, that's just where I do my best work because, you know, honestly, it's, I can relate to it. Like I get you. So those are my favorites. And I was having these experiences because I was like, I am not going to be a trauma therapist. Like F that, that is not what I'm doing. And then, and any therapist you talk to will kind of, you know, knowingly nod their head that like, yes, this work does not exist without being a trauma therapist. Like we all have it, whether it's with a capital T or a lowercase T, like it's in there, it's unavoidable. And for the majority of us, something is stuck somewhere. that's just keeping us from kind of living our best life. And so I was like, okay, well then I'm obviously going to need to do some sort of training on how to help these people because my people would come in and it would be like, oh, I don't have trauma. And then they would be talking about these things. And in my brain, I'm like, oh my God, that's so traumatic. <laughs> like that is definitely trauma. Um, but realizing if I called it that, that they were like never coming back in again, that that was it. They had decided I was not the therapist for them. And so I was researching different approaches and a friend had told me about brain spotting and I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, sounds fine. Uh, and so as I started researching, I was kind of at this place where I was choosing between brain spotting and EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And all of the research on EMDR is uh, about how it's so effective, especially like really complex PTSD cases. And I thought, well, I love it, but I cannot have my perfectionists who are definitely going to Google these things, looking this up and seeing how connected to trauma it is. Like they would just be completely opposed to trying it. Mm -hmm. So I thought with brain spotting, I'm going to get to be the person who kind of teaches them what it is and what it's helpful for. And I can like baby step into the idea that these things are trauma. Like even if they're not socially acceptable trauma, like having gone to war or, you know, having been raped or something like that. And some of my clients have had those experiences, but the bulk of them, it's just things that don't get as much publicity as trauma. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to go the brain spotting route. And that was why I picked it because it's just not as well known. So I'm loving that. It's like a twofold thing. I now have the battle of trying to talk people into trying because <laughs> they've never heard of it. Um, but so the best analogy I ever heard to explain it is that, you know, you get a cut on your arm and, you know, it's bleeding. So you maybe like do a cold press on it or whatever, and then you clean it, maybe add some neosporin, a little band aid. 
but you don't actually generate your skin cells or tell your skin to sew itself together. Our bodies know how to do that. Like they are designed to heal. Like the whole purpose of all of our systems is to like keep this ship afloat, you know? And so we can do that with trauma or whatever it is where we're stuck. Um, it's really helpful for performance too. Like if you've got a mental block for some sort of athletic thing or, you know, like a stage performance. Um, but it's like, so the way brain spotting works is you find a point in our field of vision. So where we look affects how we feel. And so even just someone listening to the podcast, as long as they're not driving right now, could just sort of call to mind something that is a little bit upsetting for them. Like maybe a three or four on a scale of zero to 10, like it just irritates them. And then I would say just to take a moment and like notice where in your body you're feeling that irritation. Um, maybe like I could say for me, like I'm nervous about being on this podcast right now. I'm really feeling it in my chest. Like that's where it's coming right now. Um, but people feel it all over. And it's that idea of what's in the brain is in the body mm -hmm. and our body is holding this and processing it somewhere. So just thinking about this thing, that's a three or four on your zero to 10 and feeling where you feel it in your body. And then just kind of glance over to your left and just notice what happens with that feeling. And then maybe try looking straight ahead, noticing what happens with it. And then notice what happens if you look over to the right with it. And so that even then was maybe not quite long enough staying on each spot to really get it. But did you notice anything? Were you playing well, along? Or? It didn't change a lot at all when I looked to the left. Mm -hmm. um, it felt better looking straight forward and it felt a little better looking to the right, but it came back. Like, yeah. Yeah. So just that idea that whichever way we're looking is going to impact how intense we are experiencing this sensation. Um, and within that, so we've got like this x-axis, we've also got up and down and we've got near and far, you know, like mm -hmm. our, our eyes orient us in so many different planes and dimensions that it's really, there's no limit to like how you can look. We can, you know, it can be used with people who are visually impaired because they can still orient to their left and their right and kind mm -hmm. of what it's like to look that direction. Um, and so we use that. I have a pointer, like just uh, not like a laser pointer, like an actual extendable pointer. And I will either work with a client or I, I, like I know how to find a spot for them by myself, but I love having them in on it too and helping me find it or they find it on their own. And then you literally just, so all of that, the setup is like the Neosporin and the cleaning the wound, um, being in my office and the, the therapeutic relationship we have where that they, know that I'm going to be here watching out for them no matter what's going to come up. Then we, we look at the spot and then it's just this idea of we just let whatever's going to happen happen. And this is the part where I like to, so this is in the cut analogy, this is the skin cells regenerating and sewing each other together. I love the analogy of it's like when we have a mental junk drawer and there's like this filing cabinet and sometimes things get filed. And for whatever reason, certain events in our life just don't get filed, whether it's because we were afraid for our life or we were really nervous or we were feeling really ashamed and that sort of trumped the process. Mm. We then, it just went into the mental junk drawer. <laughs> like it's not filed away. It's not been appropriately dealt with and put where it needs to be in our brain and body. 
And, you know, when you open the junk drawer at your house, it's like you want to grab the scissors, but you see the scissors and the scotch tape and some thumbtacks and like that receipt from that thing you meant to return a year ago, but never did. And you can't just see the scissors. So when things are in our mental junk drawer and they get triggered, all this other crap that's in the drawer with it also gets triggered. So we use the field of vision to like let our mind sort out, okay, where do I need to process this? Where does it go? And then it's only that one thing by itself. It's not all of the things that are in the junk drawer get triggered at the same time. So it really takes something that is really intense and de-triggers it. So you can still have the memory and the experience. And like, it's not like we're wiping anybody's <laughs> memory or life here. We're just saying you can think about it and it doesn't have to feel that way anymore. Wow. That's so what questions do you have? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. So um, do you know much about why it works? So I again, because I chose it because I wanted to explain it to people, I tend to use a lot less neuroscience and a lot more like layman's terms. So I can tell you my, the way I explain why it works. There's a lot of information out there. There's actually a book called Brain Spotting by Dr. David Grand. He's the one who discovered it. Um, that it's going to get into like the technicalities of it. But for me, it's that idea of our eyes, their whole purpose is to scan our environment and constantly orient us and check that we're safe. And so we've got kind of these different layers of our brain and we've got like our adult brain, which most people call our thinking brain, but I like to call it our adulting brain because it's where things like problem solving and rational decision-making live and all those adulty things that we do. And then we've got our limbic system, which is where the amygdala is in our midbrain. And that's where like fight, flight, or freeze lives. And like our eyes, we can bypass adulting brain and go straight into the limbic system because in terms of survival, like we're not designed to look around, see a saber-toothed tiger running at us and then have to use our prefrontal cortex to think about whether or not this is going to end well and like what's my best choice. Like we just act. And that just act is the fight, flight, or freeze from the midbrain. So our eyes kind of can skip that like adulty brain and go straight into what do I need to do about this? That's my like why it works because they're just kind of a direct yeah a direct route to that part of our brain yeah that's really fascinating that's that's really interesting and so if people want to um sort of learn more about it or even work with you like how can they find you and how can they find more yeah so i mean am i gonna like fully out myself now <laughs> so <laughs> brainspotting.com actually you can just look up there are brain spotting therapists all over the world um and so you go to brainspotting.com and there's a directory and just kind of search your area. Um, I'm in Texas, so I could do for like even online therapy, brainspotting works that way too for anyone in Texas. I mean, do you want me to say my actual website? Like, well, it's can up to that. you. You could get a whole flood of people. So <laughs> you <want> that. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I also know I've been really like hammering it in my area. And so I've got a lot of people who have been going through the training because I'm so like, Oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Um, so if they want to reach out to me and I don't have the space, I can, I can put them in touch with someone <laughs> who, who would have the space. But yeah, so the name of my practice is the joy effect. And so it's just joy effect with an E counseling.com. Um, but yeah, I don't, are we running out of time? I don't know if I have time. No, to share, I'm just like, writing that down. So I make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, okay. But yeah, no, carry on. Yeah. Well, just wanting to share a little bit about like how it helped me kind of 
in like in collaboration with the book to really solidify like the truth of this is what it is and I don't want to drink anymore and things like that. And um, so with brain spotting, there's, um, there's a particular setup that, that one of the like original brain spotting therapists, like one of the very early adopters of it, I guess, created, her name is um, Pi Fry and she's lovely. And she, she lives in, in Colorado. Um, but so it's an OCD setup. And part of it is this idea of finding a truth spot for where OCD is a brain issue, not like, so OCD will tell us if, if I don't do this compulsion, then this bad thing will happen. So I have to do the compulsion or a bad thing will happen. And so the truth spot is more about like, that's my brain. That's my, that's a certain area of my brain getting stuck and on repeat in a loop. And so we want really to use brain spotting to sort of settle into that's what's happening. It's not that, that this compulsion is what's going to save whatever I'm worried about. It's that my brain is stuck. And I thought, well, if we can do that with OCD, why can't I do that to really establish how true it is that this is what alcohol does to my system? You know, like wow. I can read it and I can know it, but how many people that have an unhealthy relationship with a substance, they know like, yep, this is not good for me, but here I go again. And just wanting to see, like, it was just out of sheer curiosity. Like, well, what would happen if I used it as a truth spot for the information in this naked mind? And it just really worked. Like I found, and I know exactly where my spot is, where I can look and they, they don't always say and stay in the same spot. Like, it's not like every time you look to the left, you're going to feel better about a thing. It can move around. But uh, just kind of knowing that it wasn't like a little talisman that I had to have or like a picture I had to look at. It was just a spot in my field of vision where I could look and really feel in my body and in my, it's like the difference between I know it in my prefrontal cortex and I know it in my like safety system in my deep brain, my midbrain. So I just had that spot where I could just look even when I was driving because it was like in a good field of vision, like I didn't have to look way off the road or anything. So when I was driving past the place on my way home from work where I would always stop, it was like, no, just I kind of looked right here and it was like, nope, because that's, it's, this is what it does to my body. And that's just so true. Like, this is the pitcher plant. That's what's happening, you know? And so finding that truth spot for me really solidified the information and then just kind of since then, I've learned a lot more about like, obviously we can use brain spotting if someone's using a substance to kind of cover a trauma or, you know, like numb an experience that they just haven't fully processed. So we can process that and then they won't necessarily need to numb it that way anymore. But also using it to de-trigger a drinking trigger. Mm. You know, if we can take the emotion out of an experience to where you can feel it and have it not be so intense, we can do that with a trigger. Like we can brain spot the feeling you have when you're, when I'm driving by that store and I want to turn in the parking lot, we can start with that and really let that desire to turn into the parking lot sort itself out. So, oh, and I'm, and I, I'm so cool. new at it too. Like I've, I'm about four months, four or five months out from the full certification, which is about a year ish process. Um, so I can only imagine like what other things I'll discover or like learn. I won't discover, but I will learn that I can do with this for people that just make even like the sober curious, you know, like, I just want to know what would happen if I didn't drink. And then we brain spot that and see where that gets us. 
right? Like how to, and even because one of the, th the techniques that I give people is like, you know, go visualize going and having fun and laughing mm -hmm. and having iced tea, like visualize that. Yes. And if there's anxiety around that, you know, and you feel a lot of fear, if you can visualize it and get the good emotions locked in, then it's a really effective thing. But if you can't, because you feel so much fear, like then this would be so helpful. Yes. Um, I've just been reading a book that, you know, just recently came out, um, by a, a PhD researcher at Stanford, it's called T Tiny Habits. And he uh, kind of talks about this idea that actually habit change, we, we think that this, the time, the 21 day, 60 day, 90 day is really, you know, um, you know, if you, if you can do it for 29, it matters, day, it matters. Right. <laughs> yeah. but he says it doesn't actually matter. He's like, that's not what matters. It's, it's not, co it's correlated. It's not, there's no causation. Not causal. Yeah. And um, he said, the thing that is causal is emotion. Mm -hmm. So if your new habit has emotion around it, that's positive, the chances of you actually keeping that habit. And I, I think of that for me, like when I stopped drinking, my emotion, my positive emotion was off the charts. I felt mm -hmm. like I'd been giving another, given another chance. I felt like I yeah. dodged a bullet. I felt like I got off the train that was crashing. Uh -huh. I felt so grateful. I felt like, thank goodness, I never have to do that again. And so, and, and I feel that still, like when I, I, I can put myself back into that, like it's a, it's a long distance in terms of time now, yeah. but I can put myself back into that kind of feeling of like, oh my gosh. And especially like at the rodeo the other day, you know, uh -huh. people and seeing these moms with a huge beer, pushing a stroller and being like, that was me. Mm -hmm. And that felt so crappy. Like it felt yeah. crappy in my body, maybe for 20 or 30 minutes, it felt good. And then it felt bad in my body. And then I was just trying to chase that, that good feeling and never yeah. came back. And then it felt bad on the drive home, felt bad the next morning, yep. felt bad mentally for a long time because I, and, and I was so focused on all of that, that I wasn't at all focused on the wonder in my son's eyes when he looks at this, you know, huge longhorn. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and so like I had so much positive emotion and what you're talking about, I love because it's given me chills because I'm like, oh, I can so see the power of being able to you know, take and diffuse the negative and even, and because for me, just in that little mini example, right? I was just thinking about something stressful, didn't even change over here. I looked straight ahead and the feeling went away. Mm -hmm. I was like, that was weird. Maybe I just, I'm not thinking about it as much. Maybe it's a fluke. <laughs> and it came back, but yeah. not as intense as over here. And I was like, that's really fascinating. So anyway, that's amazing. I'm so glad that you've come on to kind of share this. And then Yeah. Well, thanks for being open to hearing about it. Like yeah. I said, I'll, I'll low grade obsessed with it. So, so cool. <laughs> I want the best I kind. want the whole world to know it. <laughs> like yeah. I'm on a mission to just kind of let everybody know that, especially because the people I work with are on the outside. You just don't know. Like they look like they've got it together across the board. Like it is like Pinterest mom yeah. on steroids. And that idea of they could probably go the rest of their life and they'd be fine. Like it's okay. But this idea of you don't have to, and it doesn't even take years of therapy. Like brain spotting is a pretty quick process. I mean, sometimes we find one thing and then we kind of like, oh, there's more to that. Let's go deeper. But, you know, it just doesn't have to be this like lengthy, miserable process. Yeah. So cool. So yeah, yeah you're going to have to tell me, you said their convention is in Denver. So you're going to have to tell me when you're in Denver. We can get it. I will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me ask you the question I always ask at the end, kind of going okay. back to your own story, but if you were going to go back in time and, and kind of tell um, Carolyn about what, 
you know, when you were taking the breaks, making it the 30, what, 33 days or something of the hundred and, and then the hotel, like, what would you tell her about what life is like now? Ooh. Um, you know, and I listened to the podcast enough to know you were going to ask it and I just did not prepare that was <laughs> That's good. It's better unprepared. Well, yeah. We'll deal with that harsh self-judgment later. <laughs> um, so nobody prepares. I'm like, you got to know I'm going to ask. Yeah. You got to know. Uh, well, I think for me, I was so nervous of, oh my God, am I actually going to tell someone this story? You know, like I got hung up on that. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Telling her like, Carolyn, you're going to reach a point where you don't even mind if the world knows this story, you know? I think uh, part of me wishes I'd tried the, ba- the brain spotting on it sooner, <laughs> like, like yeah. just quit kind of screwing around with trying to white knuckle it and just try this sooner or bought the book sooner, you know, but I can't hate on myself for that. So I would just kind of want her to know that like, it's okay. And, you know, I don't know, like I'm, it's hard to find words for it. I feel like it's so cliche, but I say this in session all the time, like cliches are a thing because they're true. Like we hate them, but there's reason. Like it, I just feel so much better. You know, it's, I can't think of a single thing in my life that is not better than it was. And life was not bad before, you know, I, maybe I would tell her, Hey, this is, this weekend is rodeo cook-off. It's the, this is the kickoff. I didn't go last year cause I wasn't drinking at the time. And I was like, Oh, absolutely not. So I'm about to have my first rodeo experience without booze. Nice. Like I'm not dreading it. I'm kind of like, Oh, this will be fun. Like I'll get to see, the parts of the rodeo that I didn't see before, yeah, you know, maybe whether they were right in front of my face or not, like just that the experiences are so much better without that clouded funk. It's so good. So yeah. true. So good. Um, that's just awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has really been fun and I love yeah. learning new things. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I love learning new things. So I feel you <laughs> coming and sharing that. And I can't Absolutely. wait to be in touch more and, and see where we can take this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can, we can connect at D bar in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dessert bar. Perfect. Yes, I love it. Bar. Well, so, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time for this too. All right. Have a great day. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.